Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. I'm the Vice Chair of NAEP and thank you so much for joining us and sharing in this education journey that we're doing here to support children from birth to 13. Today I'm chatting to Iona Jackson and she's from Egerio and they have recently published some research examining pupil well-being support systems in schools and how pupils feel about school. The study drew on responses from 45,000 children of which 15,000 were from primary. Now you're here as, as the conversation gets started that it's not a surprise that certain points within a child's life in school has real trigger points in terms of their of their well-being, whether that's through transition from primary to secondary, involving exams and tests and that kind of thing. So this is a really interesting and also obviously fact-based conversation about exactly how pupils are feeling in their school based on this very large study. So I hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Iona Jackson. Hi, Ona. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. It's been a little while since we we spoke and you were on the Education on Fire podcast on episode 228. So thanks very much. And for those people that haven't come across what it is that you do and and um, and exactly what a jury is, give us a little bit of a, a bit of a background on that. Sure. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me again. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so a in more broad terms um, is a stakeholder feedback company um, working with schools across England. Um, we have a, a set of survey software um, that school leaders can arrange to take part in. And um, we have surveys that are for staff members, um, pupils, parents and governors um, to give their feedback and then for the um, school leaders to access and understand the results and take action off the back of it. As I mentioned, there's there's kind of four different key stakeholder groups that we currently work with. Um, and the equality, diversity and inclusion one, which you mentioned uh, it, that I was talking to you about in an earlier podcast, is one of our staff surveys. Um, but we also have uh, yeah pupil, pupil experience and learning, uh, learning experience and well-being that uh, I'm here to talk about today. So give us a little bit of um, a bit of an understanding of, of what the, the pupil well-being covered and the breadth of it, the number of pupils in schools and that kind of thing? Certainly. So um, the Pupil Learning Experience and Wellbeing Review, which is our whole survey, um, is a um, is, is, is a survey that's broken into three parts um, and we ran it in the summer. So from um, May to June of this year, we collected 45,000 responses from pupils across 165 schools. Um, and the topics are quite wide ranging. Um, so we have things on learning environment and learning excellence. So things like um, curriculum, assessment, learning process, relationships, extracurricular activities uh, and things like that. And we also have a section on well-being. So health and emotional well-being, safeguarding and workload. Um, the report itself, which we launched in the end of November focuses on well-being. Um, the reason why we focus on well-being is twofold. Firstly, because it's so important. Um, everything that we we covered is is important, but well-being has been increasingly important in recent years and sort of compounded by the pandemic. And also because the scores um, for well-being were slightly lower than the scores for the other areas um, that we covered in the survey. Um, so we launched our report, as I said, at the end of November. It is taking a closer look at the different elements of, of pupil well-being. So um, looking at overall well-being, um, stress, sleep quality and, and other kind of symptoms of, um, of lower well-being, um, but also kind of some of the underlying causes of, of lower well-being and um, support that's available to pupils who are 
kind of struggling at, at any particular time. And so what findings um, came out of this? I guess ones that you, you may be thought were, were likely to be the case or anything which was surprising as well? Yeah, so um, I think one thing that, that we can take away from this is that a lot of the findings were unsurprising. Um, they they support other research that has been that has been done in the past. There are some things which have changed quite significantly in our data set when you compare that to to others. So um, it's possible that that is an implication of the kind of effect of the pandemic um, or some other kind of changes over time. Um, but the overall findings. Um, so what what we found is that overall pupils are struggling with well-being, um, stress overworking, sleep quality um, are an issue for a large number of pupils. So for example, only around half of pupils said that they are feeling quite or very well um, at the moment overall. Um, And around four in 10 said that they are sleeping quite or very well um, recently. Uh, And on the flip side, around half, so 46% said that they're feeling stressed quite or very often. And um, 43% said that they are feeling overworked quite or very often and there's some reasonably significant differences when looking at different age groups um so older pupils report lower well-being than younger pupils um and stress and loneliness increase um sleep quality decreases and pupils feel worse overall as they grow older so um we we saw kind of a negative trend when looking at overall well-being dropping from 76 percent of pupils in year one who said that they felt well and only a third of pupils by the time they were in GCSE and a-level years um feeling well lately um and we all saw kind of relatively steady increases in stress as pupils um, went through the school years. Um, and then when it comes to sleep quality and overworking, we saw a couple of spikes. We saw we saw the overall increases in, in things kind of getting getting worse, so feeling overworked or not sleeping well. Uh, we did see the increases, but we also saw specific spikes um, at certain years. So um, in GCSE and A-level years, so year 11 and year 13, we saw spikes in poor sleeping and in feelings of overworking. And if I now kind of focus on um, focus on the primary school um, side of things for a little while, because we kind of see we kind of see throughout that that it's worse for secondary school pupils. Um, and I think that as reading this as a as a kind of primary school leader, you might think, oh, okay, we're we're doing all right. We're we're, we're doing a lot better than than um, than than other pupils in 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 secondary schools um but there's still quite a lot to to think about um just within the primary years so we can see again kind of relatively steady declines in well-being between years one and year six so looking at overall wellness um, we can see as i mentioned 76 percent of year ones and only 59 percent of year sixes and we also see some relatively big drop-offs in well-being um, between year six and year seven. So um, the largest decrease in well-being, uh, in overall well-being, um, came between year six and year seven when, when pupils are making the transition to secondary school. And we also saw, as I mentioned, yeah, kind of um, some some increases in stress and, and overworking as, as pupils go through primary school. Um, and we've done some work on that with Daniel Moose, who is um, former head of research at Offset and now works in kind of education research more broadly. Um, and he has he's offered some some suggestions on that and sort of said, 
as I say, even though the story is better for primary school, um, there's still a lot to a lot to be done. And, and some of the ideas that he had are around kind of helping to prepare pupils for that transition. So good cooperation with the um, destination schools, um, visits and helping helping in kind of uh, preparing pupils for what they can expect once they once they enter secondary school um, and having extra perhaps at the start of secondary school, kind of some pastoral provision available for pupils that are that are joining from a range of different primary schools. And also thinking about the increase in stress, the fact that by by year six pupils are feeling more stressed and by year seven, again, there's 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 perhaps something to be done on um, helping helping pupils to prepare for the increase in assessment and increasing kind of attainment based focus as as pupils move through the years so um as their understanding grows so might their their kind of feeling of academic pressure um and so uh, perhaps there's more to be done to help create a culture where sats uh, in year 6 aren't the be all and end all uh, and that growth is central rather than raw attainment um in in pupil development um, so that's a that's a detour into into the age side of things, and then I'll, I'll come back out now and talk about um, kind of support networks available when pupils are are um, struggling. So overall, we found that loneliness was an issue for a quarter of pupils. Twenty five percent of people said that they felt lonely um, quite or very often, um, and only around half, so fifty three percent, said that they felt lonely rarely or never. And actually, we found that most pupils, sorry, that many pupils don't feel that they have an adult at school that they can trust and talk to. Um, so we found that just under four in 10, um, 37 percent of people said that they rarely or never have an adult at school who they trust and can talk to. Whilst only 41 percent said that they they feel that they do have somebody um, that they trust and can talk to quite or very often. And lastly, um, thinking about kind of support networks. So in a bit more detail, so we asked, um, who do you talk to um, when you feel sad or worried? Um, and the largest group, um, uh, the, 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 the group which most um, people selected was parents. So 48% of people said they speak to their parents, 41% said they speak to their classmates, and then teachers came in third at 29%. So a relatively significant drop between between non-teaching non-teaching relationships and and teachers um, and I think relatively alarmingly we found that 15% of pupils said that they speak to nobody um, when they're feeling um, when they're feeling sad or worried so if I just quickly summarize that I, I've spoken <laughs> quite quickly and about a lot of things so I'll just I'll just summarize those things so what we found is that pupils are struggling with their overall well-being stress overworking and sleep quality is an issue for a large number of pupils um, and we found that older pupils report lower well-being than younger pupils um, stress and loneliness increase sleep quality decreases and people feel pupils feel over worse overall as they grow older and there's quite a lot um, to be done perhaps in the earlier years as a primary leader um, that, that can help with that um, and then finally I, I talked about loneliness and we, we found that that's an issue for a, a quarter of pupils um, and many feel that they don't have an adult at school they can talk to and a higher proportion of pupils will talk to their classmates rather than their teachers. A whistle-stop tour through an awful lot of information. Um, <laughs> hope that's hope that's useful. I think it's um like you say in so many ways it's unsurprising, um and 
my overwhelming feeling, and it has been for a long time, is that well-being is talked a lot about in education. But the setup of education in so many ways is actually causing the problem. Like you say, you know, the focus on SAT, schools are accountable for, for all these things related to Ofsted. You know, children do transition in, in year six into year seven. You know, th- there is a sense of as you go through school you can really see i mean i've had the privilege of working across all age groups and you have children coming in at the lower end into primary through nursery and they're still just so excited about life and everything's exciting and it's based around play and you just see as each year goes by they get slightly kind of a little bit more jaded as it suddenly becomes more about more work it's exciting to learn to read and then you have to learn to read and then you have to do this and you have to do that and then like you say there's this sort of testing going on and exams on the horizon and of course if the system was different you know if the setup was different if the accountability was different then we wouldn't need this and it's almost like some of the the well-being provision and some of the things that are available are almost like sort of sticky plasters that you're putting on something from a wound that you're actually creating anyway which i think is the is the main reason for for thinking about sort of real change within education which of course on education on fire we we're talking about all the time i think within within primary when we're talking about some of these things i think you have to be very kind of fearless in kind of having that child-centered idea that's what nape is all about in terms of having a sense of what is it that the child needs and then working around that and the, the way you go about curriculum the way you go about learning the way you go about having having the way that we're sort of learning together rather than just sort of imparting knowledge is, is really really key and and I think as soon as it becomes objective about results based or about anything else, then that's when things start to get slightly out of kilter. And I think with that change of focus, then things could be so different. Mm, I think it's really interesting. And actually, um, so as I mentioned, we've been working with Daniel Muse, and in in the report, there's there's more reflections on on that. Um, there, there are more reflections on that from his side, um, and he he shares. He shares other research where actually adolescence is hard, um, and um, it's it's not the, the one of the things that that is a key that is a key thing to take away here is that this isn't all schools' fault. Um, that um, there there are there are factors external to school and external to anything. So kind of biological factors, societal factors, and so on that are contributing to to lower well being. Um, but as you say, are there other things that schools are doing that are making things worse and then providing these things as, as a sticking plaster? I think one one of the challenges and um, a couple of challenges actually is is how to measure well-being. And I think um, the the work that we've we've done with this survey and other surveys available. So the the big ask that was conducted by the Children's Commissioner also in the summer. And, and there's, a, there's a number of other studies which are, which are now really focusing on pupil well-being. But there's there's no kind of one metric that we can focus on to say this is this is what's what's working. And I think when you've got something like attainment as a you get some grades, that's a number that everyone can understand or a letter that everyone can understand kind of how that how that translates into, into something else and and having something that is historically trackable um is it's you can see why the focus would be on on one on on the one that's easier to track track than others um and we've spoken to some some schools who've who've mentioned sort of they they just didn't they had various uh pastoral things in in place 
but it's hard to know that there's no easy measure of kind of how of the success of those of those different um, measures until you have things like a survey that you can take um, ongoing to, to see how those how those results are changing. I didn't even mention COVID there when I just said about um, societal factors, but yeah, they're, 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 there's things that are so far outside of the control of, of schools that um, that it makes it it makes it really complicated. And one of the things that we've we've talked about um, since is around kind of the the cause and the symptoms and and how you tackle which which you tackle and how you tackle and if if there's a difference between the two of those. And and I think one thing. Um, uh, I mentioned this in a, in a webinar with the CST that I did a, a couple of weeks ago, but that you might look at this and, and say, oh, we can see there's a large drop off in, in well-being as people move into secondary school. We can fix that by not sending pupils to secondary school. And, and that's obviously not a solution. That's not a workable solution. And so the focusing on managing the symptoms and managing kind of the the feelings of anxiety that come with these changes is is maybe is, is maybe is maybe time better spent. Um, I also want to mention around kind of the attainment thing um, that, um, and this is something that, that is referenced by Daniel in the report. Um, we had a we had a trial run at not doing exams last year and the, and the year before with uh, switching to the the teacher assessment um, at, approach with, because of COVID, and we know that that's not perfect either. And I think we're at a point now where we know things aren't working we know how how the situation is and i think it's kind of yeah we we there's a lot to be done and a lot of things to try out um to see kind of yeah what what we can do going forward to 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 improve these things or help pupils manage things that we can't um influence yeah i th- i think there's some really important points there um and you're right about you know that the, the- the external influences and you know biology that kind of thing especially for for teenagers as they're going through um i think i think there are two or three things which can make a really big difference one i think is related to the overwork and that's actually having space around every child's life to actually have what they need you know because they are working flat out in school for a number of hours and then there's also a lot of homework. Um, I'm, I mean, we, we've had teenagers go through the thing. <laughs> there's a lot of work going on. And as as parents, you know, if you're trying to offer and support a, a broad um, lifestyle, which is very supportive, which includes, you know, sort of physical activity or clubs or the arts and that kind of thing, of course, that all adds extra time pressure, but also has a a, a real positive impact on having a, a broader kind of life balance, as it were, with those sorts of things. So I think, I think having um, a broader curriculum or or, or or broader focus on how much time is needed to rest and how much time is needed to actually have a have kind of a a curriculum which has got the the breadth and, and I guess the the overall length of time needed so that on any given day you know if you need more time to relax or more time to recuperate or whatever there's that sort of flexibility in there and again that becomes very personalized and it's also very difficult to do in mass education but I think even just thinking about those sorts of things would make would make a really big difference and I think the transition um, from primary to secondary is, is really interesting and I think a lot of anxiety comes from the unknown and and you know I think actually being able to have more um, ongoing relationships with secondary schools than primary so they get to know what that environment is like. I think what you mentioned before about having 
you know, a little bit more of a transition both ends. So, you know, being able to visit the school before you would go into year seven is really interesting. But I think also not having more than a day or two to acclimatize and then you're into secondary school kind of thing. I know, I know, I know for example, I think the first assembly my my youngest daughter had in her secondary school mentioned doing GCSEs. <laughs> and mm. I think that's five years off of where they are now. At the moment, they're worried about how they find their class and who their friends are and, and being alone and feeling lonely. You know, I, I just think being aware of exactly the real pain points of of many students and pupils at that sort of age and how you then guide those sorts of things can make a make a really big difference and of course there isn't a one-size-fits-all you know every school is different every pupil is different um and 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 that's a that's a really big factor and I, and I think the other thing that you mentioned in terms of of where you get support when you need it and it's you know you hope that a child feels like they can go to their parents but that isn't always the case or maybe they're not even in a situation where that would be the case and of course friends are need to be part of your your fabric and, and your framework but of course they may not be the person that can give you the best advice because of course they're in the same age in the same situation as you so having having someone outside of that and a teacher one of the things I've noticed with with our children is the fact they always want to necessarily that sense of not getting it wrong not feeling like you're you don't know something or you're not able to cope with something there isn't a culture within education about the failure idea or not knowing or it being okay to feel like you're struggling and and so it's that kind of I guess that comes as part of like we said in terms of the space in terms of the culture of what you think learning is all about what it is that you're trying to do and you're right about you know talking about the GCSEs and A levels and those kind of things you do have this sense of actually it's all about this day it's all about this exam this my whole life is going to change based on this these Mm. few weeks and we know in reality that's not the case you can always retake you can do something when you're older you can you know but at the time you've had your entire school system gearing up to this one thing of course you're going to be stressed of course that's going to be something which is going to be um, difficult for people to do and actually like I said the system could be different to help do that on the flip side, of course, is the fact that life isn't straightforward. And actually, you are going to have points in life where you're unhappy, that you are stressed, there is something going on, which you have to deal with. And you need to have the tools and the understanding of knowing, actually, this is a stressful time, whether I want it to be like this or not, whether it's, you know, in school, or whether it's when you're older, or whether you're going through a difficult period of anything, what are the tools? What's the understanding? What's the what's the where's the place and like I say where's the mentor where's the person you can go and get that support and I think again that's the kind of where you need the breadth and the time for people to start to understand what mechanisms they need in their life to be supportive and know that all these things that are going on are actually tools and things that can help you grow into the life that you want to have whether it's a qualification whether it's a a mentor it's a support network it's a club it's a um, a group of people that are able to sort of hold you when you need that extra support and all of these are incredibly important skills which shouldn't be soft skills or academic skills or however you want to comp- compartmentalize them they're actually life and learning and you being a human being and how you want to take that forward and I think that then has a very different feeling about what well-being is so it's not about feeling well or feeling unwell or feeling stressed or not it's about where's the harmony in this life and as is there something which isn't quite working and can Mm. what can we change amongst that kind of harmony and that balance 
which can then make enough of a difference for us to start to understand, oh, yes, there are certain things here that I can change, which I would then hope could sort of help more and more people. Yeah, I think on the what, what you were saying at the end there about kind of sometimes sometimes life is stressful. Um, I think that's I think that's really, really important to think about. And actually, as I mentioned, those kind of spikes in stress in overworking and, and poor sleep quality at the at the point of um, GCSE and A-level um, years. I think actually that's that's something that perhaps we can be talking about from the start of year 10 or somewhere that we're heading into an, a period that is going to feel stressful. Here are some ways of managing stress and building resilience and, and, and helping helping to develop those skills rather than either being surprised that they're stressful. I, I think most, uh, I, from my perspective at least, I wasn't surprised that I was stressed when I was doing my GCSEs and A-level, but I didn't actually have any coping mechanisms. It was just something that I've, I'm stressed. I was, I'm meant to be stressed because I'm doing GCSEs, but actually I could have perhaps had some kind of already been building in kind of mindfulness techniques or, or something that could help me to, to manage those things. I think on the point you made about, yeah, those those support networks and, and going to classmates, it's that's something that we cover in a bit more detail in the report because we worked with a with a former pupil. Um, she's currently a first year student at university. Um, but when we were writing the survey last year, she helped us with the question on who do you talk to when you're feeling sad and worried? Um, and the reason behind that was that she had spent most of her secondary school years being the person that friends went to when they were feeling sad or worried and that was a something that she was very proud of and something she was extremely happy to have been able to be supportive in those times but she was also nervous about whether or not she'd given bad advice um unsure when she should tell somebody else what she's been told because she'd be breaking their trust but actually she maybe someone else was was needed to get involved and that all was a was a source of additional anxiety for her and i think you 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 might end up in a position where if if your main uh source of kind of support when you're stressed is is another pupil um there might be a sort of um vicious cycle when you get to stressful times for everybody so around exam times people are feeling stressed talking to their friends about and needing support from their friends who are to help them through that stress but actually that's giving the 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 support the supporting friends kind of more and more stress so you might end up kind of yeah kind of getting making things things worse and worse so i think it's yeah it's, it's really interesting it's a really interesting topic and and on the on the kind of teacher side of things some of the some of the things that came out in the comments um, from pupils so in, in each question um, or in most questions pupils were able were invited to write comments if they had anything additional to say um, and in some of the comments we see things that suggest that pupils that, that some pupils don't see their teachers as, as anything other than teachers um, so for example this person is here to teach me maths they're not here to I, I shouldn't be asking them for help on anything else because they're a maths teacher and that's what that's what our relationship is and so I think yeah, there's, there's an element of, um, and I don't know how prevalent that is because that's come up in a couple of comments rather than something that we that we kind of asked outright. Um, but it, there's perhaps an, an element of, yeah, not not knowing that teachers are available for for wellbeing support um, because they're in they're in the box of they're my maths teacher or they're my music teacher and, and so on. And I think also that, that teachers are incredibly busy and there's there's, there's so much going on. Um, and again, this is a little bit coming back to the time and the breadth is the fact that 
when when are you when are you going to do that you know when are you going to have that opportunity to be able to say right now i'm going to ask for help i'm going to ask for support because you know is it at the end of a class is it the beginning of a class you know or can i just have a quick word here and they don't necessarily have time so i think actually having a chance to actually have the breadth of being able to understand and know mm. that this is this is an environment where i can actually take the time um and and i think i think that happens obviously many teachers are also parents it's that kind of it's it's the car journey when you're not needing to talk about anything specific but you've got the time to talk about something a little bit more generic that opens up the, the opportunity to mention something about you know it's not that di that direct kind of i now need help and support because by which time you're often a long way down that well-being path of actually really not being um in a particularly great place mm. and, and 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 so i think a lot of it is kind of sort of raising the bar to what is possible um so you've got sort of both sides of the coins really you know you've got an environment which is supportive for children and at the same time the the opportunity when things do start to um feel like they're they're more pressured or, or they're starting to struggle that they that they, there's an easy kind of oh i'm just going to sort of you know sort of meander into this part of my life here and i know this person's there to support me and and, and i think that it needs to be more fluid like that as pupils to teachers to to parents to other people within your your community and we talk a lot about community um but that really is everyone involved with any given pupil based on their own circumstances yeah and i think i think on on that front there's also there's there's as you said you mentioned about kind of where you are on the well-being journey and on the kind of well-being uh, scale and and actually there's 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 a world that, <laughs> that maybe maybe one day if time and 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 so on allows that that actually that well well-being is that there's a there's a kind of preventative side of things that is also that is also kind of built into every element of a pupil's um and well and just people in general of their lives kind of um their the, the the safe spaces are there when someone needs to talk to somebody but actually also before that there's 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 the environment is created in such a way that helps people aid either kind of yeah build resilience and, and and build coping mechanisms for when times are more stressful and also kind of yeah prevents prevents people from getting to that point on the um well-being journey where they where they do need to be kind of seeking help Ina, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing the results of this survey. I think it really sort of gives us a really good insight into the reality of, of what's happening within schools. And I think if we can just take that on board and support children as best we possibly can, then this has to be a very positive thing. So, yeah, thanks very much indeed. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.